When it comes to a continuous improvement culture, how do you assess where your organization is today and what to prioritize? That's exactly what we're talking about today with our guest, Patrick Adams. Welcome to Lean Leadership for Ops Managers, the podcast for leaders in ops management who want to spark improvement, foster engagement, and boost problem solving, and still get their day job done. Here's your host, leadership trainer, lean enthusiast, and spy thriller junkie, Jamie V. Parker. Hey, Ops Leaders, Jamie Parker here. So excited to bring to you today a guest, Patrick Adams, who is author of um, the recently released book, Avoiding the Continuous Appearance Trap. And I think you're really going to love this conversation and the book because he outlines some questions you can ask and some steps you can take to assess where you, your organization is today um, and, you know, figure out how to prioritize. And we're going to we're gonna talk about that uh, a little bit globally and then also dig into one specific area in much more detail and talk a little bit about next steps. You know, what can you actually do? So let's dive in. So I want to welcome to the show, Patrick Adams. Patrick, so good to have you today. Hey, it's great to be here, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Well, I am excited to chat with you today because you recently published a book, which is yes, so I exciting. Did. Congratulations. It is exciting. My first book. So I'm excited to have it out. A lot of work, uh, but it's, it's good to finally have it out there and, and it's getting in the hands of the people that need it most. So it's exciting. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that today. I want to hear a lot about it. But before we do that, um, can you just provide a little bit of, uh, you know, an introduction of, you know, kind of what made you fall in love with Lean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I spent about uh, eight years in the in the military. And when I got out of the military, I landed a job as a production supervisor at a plastics plant in West Michigan. And I just completely fell in love with manufacturing. And uh, it wasn't too much longer after that when I was introduced to, uh, to lean and continuous improvement. And uh, just again, you know, obviously, understanding enough about manufacturing and then having this, this amazing methodology, you know, land in my lap. I'm like, why, why does everybody not know about this? Why is everybody not doing this? Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to land at a few companies that um, had adopted lean and, and were deploying it properly. And I, I was connected with some really great coaches and just really, um, again, just fell in love with the idea of, uh, improving, you know, over time, incrementally, continuously, and uh, just really enjoyed everything about it. Um, Parker Hannafin was a was a huge um, contributor in my development as a lean practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, they have an, an amazing program um, from you know executive leadership all the way down, you know, through the organization and embedded in the organization, and and so I was able to work with some, like I said, some really great coaches and. Um, just really adopted it into my own personal lifestyle as well as uh -huh. how I do work every day. So, 
Yeah, I, you know, I love this hearing this um, kind of story of falling in love with manufacturing and then falling in love with lean and going, oh my goodness, why don't we all do this? Um, exactly. Yeah, very fun and uh, so relevant for the audience here today, which, you know, typically those ops managers who are practicing lean and, um, I, you know, you really have some of that relevant experience of understanding what it's like to be in the trenches. That's right. And I've, I've worked at both as a lean practitioner, as a lean manager, um, as well as uh, an ops manager, uh, uh, you know, production supervisor, a plant manager. So, you know, I've, I've been able to experience, you know, different, different aspects of operations. And, um, and I just, uh, it, it, it's, that's one of the things I think that sets me a little bit apart from a lot of, uh, consultants out there is that I have been in the trenches and, mm-hmm. um, I've, I, I understand, you know, a lot of the, the struggles and the challenges that come with, uh, with being an ops manager or being in operations, you know, it's, it's, it's not as simple sometimes as, uh, as it, it seems to be when you're reading it in a book, you know, all of a sudden you have all these other things hitting you from, you know, one side and then mm-hmm. someone else pulling you another direction and your fires popping up everywhere. And, um, and so, you know, being able to navigate that and, and, you know, be in that role has really helped me to understand, you know, when someone says this is not easy for me, um, you know, being able to understand that and really feel for them. And I think is something that definitely uh, has helped me over the years. Yeah, I love it. I can guarantee you there are people that just heard that like, yes, that's me. You're talking with me right now. All those, you know, different directions that things are flying at me. Very cool. Well, let's um, dive in. Tell me and tell our listeners about this book. Yeah. So the, the, the title of the book is Avoiding the Continuous Appearance Trap. And it's 12 questions to help uh, the readers uncover what's truly underneath their culture. Uh, so early in my career, I worked for two companies. Uh, and if you were to walk into both of these companies, at the surface level, they would look very similar, right? Both mm-hmm. had visual management, similar KPI, safety, quality, cost delivery. Both had similar org structures. Um, you know, they had, uh, there was value stream maps on the wall. There's, you know, tape on the floor. Um, so very similar, right? If you were to look at these two companies. Um, but very different uh, approach to how they uh, sustain the, those those items that were you would see throughout the organization. Mm-hmm. And um, one of those companies had an amazing culture of continuous uh, uh, continuous improvement, and the other one um, had what I like to call a culture of continuous appearance. Um, and the reason why I say that is because at again at the surface level they appeared to have everything together, uh, but underneath was a very toxic culture where people hated to work. The turnover was high uh, that, you know, that there was no sustainability of, uh, of the improvement items. You know, you'd hardly ever see leadership uh, out on the floor with, with the, the team members. And there's just a lot of uh, challenges that you would see underneath all of that. You know, if you got up really close to one of those, those uh, really nice looking value stream maps on the wall, you would notice that, there's either no date on it because it was, you know, made uh-huh. maybe three, four years ago, or, um, or there is a date on it and it's outdated, you know, and, um, you know, you'd see trash cans, maybe not in the, the taped or painted box on the floor the majority of the time, but when there was executive leaders mm. getting ready to walk through, all of a sudden everything gets put back in its place, um, you know, where it's supposed to be uh, for the tour. 
Uh, and yeah. so those are the types of things that you would see in a company with a culture of continuous appearance versus a true culture of continuous improvement. Um, and so really the book uh, uses those two companies as a case study. Um, and I walk through each of the 12 questions with examples from both of those companies that help the reader to really understand why that question is so important as they begin to assess themselves and seeing where do they sit and wh wh what's really underneath their culture. Uh, and the idea behind the book is that the reader will take those 12 questions and it's, it's not necessarily a step-by-step. -step. It's not this, this um, roadmap for them to mm -hmm. follow you know, question one, question two. Um, but what it what it's supposed to do is give the reader the ability to prioritize where they should start and give them some direction and then help them. It should really be uh, the beginning of scientific thinking for the reader where they can start to experiment with some different ways of doing things that will help them to, you know, get on this road that's going to point them towards a, a culture of continuous improvement. Okay. So I love this idea that, Hey, you know, through the book, I've got these, it sounds like these 12 questions. Um, in each question, I'll be able to kind of see an example of a continuous improvement culture, an example of more of that continuous appearance, yes. <laughs> um, that where it's like that surface level, but it's not there culturally and it's not sustained and then be able to use that, use that kind of comparison case study to really understand where, where my organization is, um, be able to kind of self assess. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and, and there is a, there's actually uh, an assessment at the end of each question, a short assessment with, um, with a few questions to help uh, answer some of the items that are laid out in the chapter. And then at the end of the book, there's a full assessment that can be filled out and, uh, and actually help you to determine priority for where you should start. Because every organization is at a different place in their journey, right? And every industry is different. Every team is different. Um, you know, when people are reading the book, it's going to be at different times, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, the, the, the questions are meant to, again, to just give them some direction and help them to start experimenting with what the solutions are that are going to work for their, for their organization and for their team at whatever time it is that they're going through the, the assessment. Yeah, and I can really see this being kind of that structure for the dialogue, right? So as a leadership team, for example, um, really being able to dive that, dive through that and having that structure. That's exactly right. And, and also it's, it's, uh, it's 12 questions and there just happens to be 12 months in the year. So if someone wanted to, you know, look at it in that way and think about, okay, how can we start experimenting with one of these questions uh, each month and make it a, an, a year, an annual plan of some sort. I mean, that would be another way to approach it. All right. Fantastic. Well, I want to, I want to understand more. So, you know, this audience is, like I said, those ops managers, um, you know, whether it's complaint managers or directors, when they're practicing lean in their operations, um, could you give us an example of one of those 12 questions that you think would be relevant for an organization kind of evaluating, um, particularly, you know, in this operational space? Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite questions from the book is question two, and question two is, where are your leaders spending their time? Where are your leaders spending their time? Um, and this is something that, you know, again, for myself, even when, I, when I'm writing, when I was writing this, I'm, I, I'm also assessing myself, right? And I'm thinking to myself, what are the things that, that caused me to struggle in supporting a culture of continuous improvement? And, um, and I'll be the first one to admit that I would find myself 
you know, stuck in the, in the, in a conference room or in my office. Uh, and you know, I would catch myself and think, where do I need to be right now? I, I need to be, you know, where the value add work is happening. You know, I can't answer questions from my desk. I can't try to complete this, this 8D or this, you know, 10 step problem solving approach or this A3. I can't do this from my desk. I need to be out there where the, the problem happened, where it originated, where the people are that have all of the information that I need. So um, that, that second question is where are your leaders spending their time? Um, and I think it's an important question for anyone that is in a, in a leadership role, uh, you know, and, and I think that for me, it, it was a question that not only spoke to me, but, you know, in, in all of the different companies that I worked in with, with different people that I've, had, what I've, that I've coached with, I always see this as a, 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 a point that continues to come up, right? And people, you know, find themselves because they get busy with, um, leadership or management activities of what they, I guess, what traditional work environments would call those activities, um, you know, and, and they're not doing the things that they should be doing. And I think that that's something that we have to, as leaders, we have to really take inventory and, and ask ourselves. Yeah. Well, and so is there a process that you recommend for taking that inventory? Because I think sometimes, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes we're sitting in these, you know, I, I was talking with a client recently, he said that I was onboarding. He's like, well, I have 34 hours of meetings a week. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Right. So sometimes it just hits you, right? It smacks yes. you and it's really obvious. Um, and then there are also times I think that it's not quite as obvious and what we think, you know, where we think we are spending our time may not actually um, match reality. So how do, how would we go about checking that, taking that inventory? Yeah, good question. Uh, have you heard the old saying, show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So this is kind of a, a funny thing, but one of the first things that, that I ask my coaching clients to do is send me a screenshot of their calendar. Uh, and this might seem a little weird, but it really does help start a conversation about their priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, as leaders, we, we must have our priorities straight. And that begins with where you're spending your time. You know, for, for example, you know, outside of our work environments, if we say that, you know, family is important to us, well, if they're, if they're that important, are you actually blocking time on your calendar? If you, if you say that physical health is important to you, are you blocking time to get to the gym? You know, are those things that, uh, that you, that you've prioritized in your calendar? Mm -hmm. um, and at the same way as, as, um, as operations leaders, are we, are we blocking time for the right activities that are going to uh, establish the right priorities in, in, in our work and what we should be doing, right? Yeah. Um, and like I said, that begins with where you're spending your time. So you have to ask yourself, if you were to assess yourself and, and the leaders uh, that are working around you based on where they spend their time, would you say that you're spending time in the right place? Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's a question you have to ask, ask yourself. So, you know, many, many organizations have little in, in a way of documented best practices for where and how leaders are spending their time, mm -hmm. right? Supervisors, managers, directors, they, they really, when, when they hire into a company or when they get promoted, they receive a job description and that's supposed to guide their daily activities. Um, well, that's, that's just not, that, that's not going to give me the right activities that are going to uh, result in, you know, the type of culture that I want to create in the organization. So you really have to start by examining, you know, where you're currently spending your time. And I would suggest, and we have done this multiple times, but I would suggest that you actually track yourself 
for a few weeks and then allow the data to help you get a snapshot of where you're actually spending your time. Because I think you'd be surprised how much time you spend on email, how much time you spend in meetings, how much time you spend, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Um, and if that's not adding value to the end customer, if that's not adding value to your team, then you really need to, to reassess. Yeah. And I think that can be really a helpful activity too when for kind of the, the executive team that, that might be removed from the day-to-day from, you know, the director or the plant manager, or, you know, department supervisor, right? Whatever the whatever your roles are, but they might be removed and not realize what that really looks like. Um, you know, I know I've seen that happen where um, once once that kind of time study, if you will, is done and we, we're documenting what we're doing and it can be really eye-opening for the executive to realize, wait a minute, there's something going on about how I'm setting direction too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and and the, the, the way that your leaders behave and where they spend their time has a direct connection to the culture that the mm-hmm. company, you know, that, that, the company has. So, you know, um, and, and then this is the scary part day in and day out managers are tasked with engaging employees, but, um, there's a Gallup study out there. I believe it's 15 or 50, 51% of managers have essentially checked out, meaning they care very little, if at all about their job or their company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really scary, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, on top of all of this, where you, you have leaders that are maybe that do care about what's going on, but they just, maybe they've been promoted into a leadership role because they were really good at running a piece of equipment or. Oh, that never um, happens, Patrick. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, but they've never, they've never been taught how to lead. They don't know what the daily activities are, right? Um, so you have that group and then you have this other group that's essentially checked out and, you know, they really don't care if, if they're doing the right activities, you know, Mm -hmm. so this is a serious issue for companies. Um, And one of the greatest barriers to establishing a culture of continuous improvement is that leaders um, avoid spending time where the value creating work is being done. Yeah. And this is something it it has to change, you know? Mm -hmm. So let me, let me ask you this. So let's say I've got, you know, we've got ops leaders here listening who are part of the group that says, Hey, I want to do this right. Like I want to spend my time in the right places. Um, but I can't, and I, you know, and I figured out, right. Like I've done inventory. I know that's not happening today. I can see where, where I'm getting sucked into firefighting or where I'm getting sucked into doing tasks because they have deadlines, but not because they're necessarily important and creating, um, an opportunity for me to improve. So for those folks who, who just say, you know what, gosh, I want to do this, but it feels a little out of reach. Like I just am in too much of a reactionary space. How can they start to make those shifts? Yeah, that's a that's another great question, uh, and and there's not you know there's not one perfect answer to that, um, but you know, the, in order to sustain a, a continuous improvement initiatives and and a continuous improvement culture, uh, we have to have a different leadership system. There has to be a different management system. Um, you know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? Mm-hmm. So if you just continue to manage the same way, the same meetings, the same metrics, the same behaviors, right? You're, you're, you're going to get those same beliefs, those same, the same result, the same culture that you've always had. So unless you change the way that, that you're managing, you're not going to get a different result. So, you know, one of the things that I suggest, and, and again, this isn't something that I've 
developed or, cre- or created myself. This is a, something that's been used for years and years, but it's mm-hmm. called leader standard work. And I always suggest uh, companies develop some leader standard work. Um, and in the book, I talk about leader standard work for those that are maybe listening that don't know what that is. It's a very powerful tool that helps to helps leaders to shift their priorities and their behavior to focus more on the process. Um, the leader standard work is, is process dependent, not person dependent. So mm-hmm. every leader in the organization really should have some form of leader standard work. Um, and the process is pretty simple for creating leader standard work. Um, but one of the things sometimes that's missed is involving the entire team in the process. Mm, um, so yes. I always, right. So I always <laughs> suggest involve your entire team. This isn't something again, that you create by yourself at your desk. You know, you need to really talk to the whole team, those that are working in the area, uh, in your work area, and then, you know, start by simply asking the team to describe the work process, highlight any critical activities, um, and then identify who's responsible for those critical activities, right? Which names, uh, you know, who, which team leaders or supervisors are responsible for? What's the plant manager responsible for? Um, you know, what should be happening every day? What should be happening maybe every week or every month? Those are all important things to discuss. And then your leader standard work should come out of that. Yeah. So that, I, I, I guess that would be the beginning. I love it. And I'm chuckling one of these days, Patrick, I'm going to have you back on. We'll t- I'll tell you my whole story of the first time I ever tried to um, kind of do any sort of leader standard work, right? I read David Mann's book and I'm like, oh, we got to okay. do this. And, um, you know, running an organization where it's 18 plants and we wanted consistency across the plants um, for some certain things. And, oh my goodness, it was the biggest flop of anything I've ever done. And one of those big reasons is while there were some, like we're just approaching it too much top down and too much um, while there were representatives, it wasn't, we didn't go through the real process. It was done as like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is what the outcome should be. So let's try and figure out how to get this outcome. And we totally missed the process of developing, right? The process of engaging, figuring out. So it was- Not just that, but also uh, coaching, you know, being coached as Mm -hmm. leaders. Sometimes we we forget that we, you know, while we are supposed to be coaches, we also sometimes need coaches. Yeah. And especially when you're rolling out leader standard work with new daily activities or new weekly activities, um, establishing a new cadence for yourself, a, a good coach can help, um, you know, create the, con- the consistency that's necessary in, in, in order to make that happen. So I think that's another, and then that, that makes me think of, um, Dr. Liker's lean uh, leadership development model, you know, where he talks about self-development as being one of the areas as leaders that we should be focused on. Uh, And then the second is coaching and developing others, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, which is really key to becoming a good leader. And and again, one of those areas that um, companies don't think about when they promote someone into a position that's never had to coach someone, never had to develop someone, they have no idea how to do that. And they might need a coach themselves in order to um, learn all of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, um, I, I think it's such a critical role, you know, whether it's internal or external. And I know I have my own coaches. I think you have your own coaches yes, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be an external coach. And mm-hmm. it, it, any, someone internal that, uh, that understands uh, the importance of a daily cadence. And, and you know, uh, again, when you're developing that leader standard work, if it's, if it includes, you know, Gemba walks, if it includes, um, you know, uh, hour by hour board mm-hmm. checks or, you know, whatever it is that your uh, leader standard work 
includes there's someone in your organization that probably does that really well and could be a good coach identified to, to help with that. Um, so, you know, thinking about that as you're, as you're rolling out the, the, this, um, as you're rolling out leader standard work to your organization, you have to consider that it's not a matter of just, Hey, go Google leader standard work and create something and start doing it. There's a whole process for ensuring that, um, that it's going to be sustainable and that it's going to give you the, the benefits that you want to happen. Yeah. Okay. So great. So here's an example of this question is where are you, where are your leaders spending their time? And, you know, a couple of things we might want to do is to take this inventory, really understand where it is truly. Like we can take a look at our calendar. We can take a look at our inventory, understand, are we spending our our time where we should, or where we think, you know, is, is the best place from a value perspective. And then leader standard work is one method that we could employ if we need to start making changes to actually change where it is we're spending our time. That's right. Absolutely. And you did mention one of the things that you mentioned, uh, you asked about, you know, um, I I think you referred to firefighting or Mm -hmm. all of the different things that come around you. So, you know, for me to, to tell everybody that's listening, you know, go, go deploy leader standard work you know, you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you know, you don't know what I deal with. You don't know what what happens when I come into work and I have 15 uh, fires that are already, mm-hmm. you know, being passed on to me from third shift or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I'm not saying that this is going to happen overnight, uh, but it is something that you need to consider and start, start slow, start mm-hmm. small, start with one thing a day that you say, I'm going to do this every single day at this time. Um, and, and then get, get really good at that, you know, eliminate all of the distractions that pull you away from doing that one activity and then just keep building on it from there. Right. The other thing is, um, you know, you don't have to be alone in this either, uh, especially in a, in a, a leadership position, you have you have people that are probably working for you that are experts in what they do, and tapping into their expertise uh, is is huge. There's a lot of leaders that feel like they're out on an island by themselves and have to, you know, make all the decisions themselves and, and take on all the accountability themselves. Uh, where you know another this is another point that I talk about in this in the book is. Um, just really around shared accountability and engaging your team members. You know, I, I once worked with a a manager who spent the majority of his days in that reaction mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just every, he couldn't even walk around the production floor without getting pulled to help solve problems. And uh, at one point um, I had to step in, obviously with his permission, uh, but someone literally ran up to us. And uh, as we were walking the floor and started yelling about this machine being being down and, you know, they're going to miss shipments and, you know, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Uh, and so I, obviously I, again, with permission, I asked the operator one question. And I think this is important for people that are listening that do feel like they're always in firefighter reaction mode. I asked one question. I said, what do you think we should do to the operator? What do you think we should do? And he looked at me a little crazy, like, uh, you know, kind of looked over at the, the manager, like almost like he needed permission to <laughs> yeah. you know, say what he could, what he thought. Yeah. Um, and once he felt comfortable to answer, he said, well, you know, I think that, uh, that, that, you know, this is very similar to another situation that we had in the past. And I, I think that probably 
you know, the rails are just dirty and we, maybe we could just clean them and then keep going. Like we might be able to, to keep, keep, uh, running after that. And so I said, okay, why don't you go do that? And then we'll check back in with you and see how, how that went. So he, you know, went back to his machine and, um, obviously started doing that. And the, the manager looked over at me and he said, he said, that's not going to work. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the rails are bent and you know, there, we need to call maintenance. And, um, I said, that's okay. Because when it doesn't work, the, that team member is going to try something else and they're going to try something because now we've given them permission to figure mm-hmm. it out. Right. Yes. So they're going to start experimenting and they're going to try some things and eventually they're going to find out that the rails bent. And while that might take a lot, a little bit longer this time, eventually they're going to, they're going to continue doing this and they're, and they're going to start solving problems on their own and without having to come get you. Because every time that you solve a problem for your team, you're enabling them to create these fires for you. And you, That's you know, right. to you, they just know that if, if I have a problem and I go to this person, they're always going to come solve the problem for me. Um, and what needs to happen is you have to start taking the, you have to start sharing that, that accountability and sharing the mm-hmm. decision-making and sharing and engaging your team to start solving some of those problems. Um, and, and that's where, you know, you're going to open up crazy amount of time yes. for yourself when you engage that, that entire workforce in solving problems. And so, you know, that's just a, I'm a over here story. like, preach Patrick, let's go. <laughs> that's right. No, and it's just one simple question. And again, it's, it may not work in every scenario, but um, I just think, you know, I would challenge listeners to, to try that, try asking that question. And, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how, how much you want to go solve it, because you think, you know, the answer and you could solve it in five minutes, allow your team to take the time to work through that and, and just keep asking questions until they get to the solution and let it be their solution and then celebrate, celebrate that they solved it. Um, and that will, it will change the way that you manage. And I think that's a good starting point for a lot of people out there that are in reaction mode. Yeah. I love it. Fantastic. So here we are. We've like, I don't know how far we're into this and we're, you know, we've got one question. You've got 11 more. Um, So I can see how this could, like I said, it just really be that um, structure to allow for so much uh, kind of reflection and assessment and and conversation dialogue for across a, across a team. Um, So, so why don't you tell us if for those out there like, Hey, I got to get those other 11 questions. I got to get into this. Um, Where can they tell us more about where they can find that book. Absolutely. So the paperback is available on Amazon. You can also go to uh, avoidcontinuousappearance.com and you can learn more about the book and and purchase it from from there. Um, The ebook, it will be available on February 10th. uh, But but again, you can find it on Amazon. You can can go right to our website and grab it from there. Uh, It'll direct you right to Amazon too. So uh, I would say that's probably the best place to start. Um, You can search uh, avoiding the continuous appearance trap. You can search Patrick Adams, continuous appearance, anything like that, and it should come right up. All right. And for those of you that uh, go to our show notes, we'll make sure we link to that as well. So you can go directly. Um, and Patrick, where can folks find more about you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Uh, you can shoot me a message. I'm usually pretty quick to respond to messages on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also go to our website, uh, at findleansolutions.com and uh, you can email us there too. Uh, But office at Patrick Adams Consulting will, will get you to me as well from email. All right. Fantastic. So as we close out, um, just want to ask you any kind of closing uh, either advice, recommendations or encouragement that you have for listeners. 
yes. So I would say um, the just uh, using a quote, one of my most favorite quotes, uh, the, the most dangerous phrase in our language is that we've always done it this way, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to close by just saying, uh, don't, fi- don't fall into uh, being content with the status quo. Always look for opportunities to improve. Um, and that's also a little teaser for one of the other questions in the book as well. Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> see, you better be running to Amazon right now. I'm picking this up. That's right. All right. Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining. I love the conversation. I feel like we could have gone on for hours just on that one little topic. Um, It's so glad to have you here today. It was great to be here, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. Love your podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. I, I so much appreciate it. What a great conversation. You know, Patrick's experience is quite interesting with two organizations who had similar artifacts on the surface But when you actually pull back the curtain, right, like peel back the layers, there are different cultures, which also yields different results, different outcomes. So if you're interested in exploring this topic further, you can grab Patrick's book or connect with him on LinkedIn or find his website at our show notes. You just go to processplusresults.com forward slash podcast and then find episode 24. So before I share your one next step, I just want to do a super quick recap and talk about what's coming up next. So Patrick has this book, Avoiding the Continuous Appearance Trap, and it has 12 questions you can use to assess. And he offered us one today, which is where are your leaders spending their time? So we talked about making that assessment, reviewing calendars, taking an inventory. We talked about making changes. So if you don't like the answer, you can how you can use leader standard work or how you can develop your people to be able to do more decision making and problem solving. Now, here's the thing. This is can be really a complicated topic because what I hear the most is about how little time you have. Like it just feels like I don't have any. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm always behind. There's so much to do. I want to get more of the right things done. I want to do all of this proactive stuff. I don't want to be in a reactive firefighting mode. Like I want to get into problem solving. I want to develop my people. But girl, you're crazy. (laughs) Like I'm already working long hours. And I want to get real about this topic and dive into this over the next several episodes so that we can have a true, honest conversation about what can you do when it feels like you're just tapped out, okay? So stay tuned, not just for next week, but the next several episodes. And if you haven't yet, be sure to, to subscribe because you're, you're gonna wanna get in on all of those. All right, I'd like to leave you with one next step for the week. So your one next step for this week is to answer the question, where do you, as a leader, spend your time? If you have leaders on your team, you can have them do it. Where do they spend their time? You may even choose to have a peer listen to this episode as well and answer the question together. And as you answer that question, use it as a catalyst to really think about and discuss where should you spend your time? Because you're probably going to find a variance. Great conversation today. You can find all the additional links and information at our show notes, processplusresults.com forward slash podcast, and then episode 24. Until next time.